This podcast is brought to you by Learn Prime. Start your journey to becoming a great developer at learn.thoughtbot.com. Giant robot smashing into other giant robots. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Giant Robots Smashing into Other Giant Robots podcast. My name is Ben Orenstein, and I'm here today with Thoughtbotters from Stockholm, uh, Mike Burns and George Bucklehurst. How are you guys doing? Great. Thanks for having us. Yeah, absolutely. You're joining us from beautiful, and I, I wouldn't say sunny, but beautiful Stockholm. It's beautiful. It's warm. It's like six degrees Celsius, which is like 40 Fahrenheit. And we consider this warm. Yeah, warmer than Boston, at least. Exactly. Yeah. I, I keep up on that. Every morning I look at the weather in Stockholm, I'm like, damn, it's cold. And I swip, swipe over to Boston. It's like, yes, it's warm. <laughs> it's all about relativity. <laughs> so you guys are, are virtually here today because we're going to talk about Gitsch. Gitsch. <laughs> It's the Git shell. The Git shell, G-I-T-S-H. Can you uh, give me the elevator pitch? Uh, sure. So it's a interactive shell for working with Git. So instead of typing Git status, you could just type status, or you could just type nothing at all and hit return and get a status that way. Mm-hmm. So I type Git, sh- and then I'm in like a, a little mini shell where everything is assumed to be a Git command. Yep, exactly. Unless otherwise indicated. Right, so it brings you into the world of Git, mm-hmm. uh, and so this this all started. If I may jump to that, yeah, because uh, this will provide more flavor. It all started when we were talking about subcommands, and we were talking about how everything is a user experience, including uh, the command line. And so I I started complaining about subcommands, which are relatively new in the Unix world. They're mostly unheard of. Uh, the only examples uh, that that really came to mind were apt and git. There's a lot of newer stuff like in the past two years that have subcommands. Mm-hmm. But traditional Unix utilities don't have subcommands. And this, this is for a, a large number of reasons, but like the core principle of Unix is everything should do one thing well. Mm-hmm. And so if you have subcommands, you're not doing one thing well. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we th- talked about what they did instead. And what they did instead was they made shells or shell-like things, interpreters. So we have BC, which is a calculator. We have awk. Uh, which is a little programming language for manipulating text. Uh, SED is another such such programming language. These can all be interactive. These can all be scripted. Uh, these can all have themselves as the shebang line. Um, hmm. And once and once you start going into the world of shell, once you make this this domain specific language for interacting with something, it becomes a rich environment upon its own. And so we just prototyped an experiment. Um, I hacked it out one night in Python. And Why Python? Um, I think I was just talking about Python with my girlfriend. Okay. Uh, and so I had that interpreter open. All right. I, I think that's why. Mm-hmm. And, yeah. And so uh, next day, George and I talked about it. He liked it. I liked it. George rewrote it all in Ruby. Well, I used it for a few weeks first and got tired of the fact that you know, you'd hack this out in an hour and it crashed every five minutes. And I kept hacking in new features thinking, oh, well, I'll just fix that crash. I'll just fix that crash. And eventually I thought, okay, this is a real thing. We need tests and we'll start over in Ruby. Mm. It's almost like, um, thinking back to your subcommands thing, it's almost like Ed was like a big old editing shell. Exactly, exactly. Right? So- Where, yeah, and so you could actually, and there are, there are things out there that, that have Ed as the shebang line. That blows my mind. I didn't know you could do that. Oh, totally. It's awesome. That is awesome. Uh, a, 
a recent thing I use that does a similar trick is Haskell. Uh, you can make Haskell shell scripts. I just did air quotes. Mm-hmm. Um, where the sh- there's a program called Run Haskell, and it takes a file and it runs it. Uh, it compiles it and then runs it and then deletes the compiled program. Hmm. Um, and so you can set Run Haskell as the shebang line and make Haskell shell scripts. So, yeah, it's a really powerful technique. Yeah, that's interesting. So I think, if I'm correct, is, isn't under the hood Git actually doesn't really have subcommands? It has a lot of its own individual command line tools, and it just presents that interface as subcommands? For, for most commands, yes. So I think there are some core things which are built directly into Git, but the majority of things, it would be Git hyphen something, and that is a binary somewhere on your path. And if you run Git space something, then it just finds the binary with the hyphen in. Right. So, so this means that you can extend Git by adding new subcommands, quote, quote, uh, by just making a program called git-foo, and now you have a foo subcommand. Hmm. Does that, does that get picked up automatically? Yes. Oh, interesting. Because I have a couple, like, git-somethings that I haven't actually tried with git space something. Yeah, now you can hit the space bar instead of the hyphen. <laughs> or with the git shell, you can just... You don't even need the git dash. You can just type that something. Interesting. So did you guys have any interesting uh, code challenges or technical difficulties with this project? Uh, So one thing that we decided fairly early on was we wanted this to be a very Unix-y tool. And that meant we needed a man page. Mm. And doing that as a Ruby gem is really hard. Uh, But there were a bunch of other things we didn't like about distributing as a a Ruby gem. Um, For example, if you install it under RVM, and then you change Ruby version, suddenly your tool has disappeared, mm. which isn't so great. Or if you're not a Ruby developer uh, and someone says, yeah, just type gem install. Like, What's a gem? What? Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, the first time I tried a tool which told me I had to NPM install it, I had to go and learn a whole bunch of stuff about the Node ecosystem before I could ever use this thing. Mm. Uh, so we wanted to avoid all of that. And so we started using GNU auto tools. Yes, and that, posed, that was a big world of pain. Mm. And we think it's worth it. Hmm. What, what does AutoTools do? So it generates the kind of installers you typically see for C programs. So if you've ever typed that little uh, dot slash configure make make install incantation, mm-hmm. that's running an AutoTools uh, compiler and installer kind of suite. Uh, and we wanted that approach because then we could just drop this directly into templates for things like Homebrew and um, the Debian packaging system and the Arch packaging system. Right, yeah, so when I was playing with this, I, I used Homebrew to get this. Right, exactly. So we wanted to provide that kind of familiarity that it was just another program that you were installing. We didn't want you to ever care that it was written in Ruby. Um, in fact, we want to be able to change the programming language and still have you not care. Hmm. Um, don't, don't I have to care a little bit, though, because I need uh, Ruby to run it? So if you are a packager, then yes, you do care because you have to make sure all the packages are there and like Ruby 2 is installed and everything like that. But when you installed it via Homebrew, you just did brew install git sh mm-hmm. um, without care that it's Ruby underneath. And when you type git sh, you're not thinking that it's a Ruby program, are you? Uh, I'm not, but it, it is. if I didn't have a Ruby interpreter, that wouldn't work, right? That's right. Okay. Yeah. Well, except installing it via Homebrew would install a Ruby interpreter for you because uh, okay. we have package managers so we can have dependencies. So it's kind of nice to be able to say, yeah, this brew install, GitSH is going to install everything you need, including Ruby if you don't already have that. Mm-hmm. Gotcha. Are you, are you guys, neither of you is a OS X user, is that correct? 
Uh, I am an Irish Chinese, yeah. Okay, uh, gotcha. But Mike, you're not. That was right. So it's a, the perfect team to make sure that you have good portability, I guess. Exactly. Yeah. So I cover the BSDs and the and Linux and Windows. What, when what? <laughs> I assume is, Windows is, support is coming soon. Is that a new Linux distribution? <laughs> I've never heard of that. Uh, poor Windows people. Um, have you gotten bug reports about Windows? Um, if by bug reports you mean one snarky comment on Hacker News, then yes. Otherwise, no. Gotcha. So I'm excited about this tool. I, today was the first time I installed it and started trying it. Um, but I find that that's almost all I use the shell for when I'm programming, mm-hmm. more or less, is just Git. So oh. it's nice to have this thing. And I'm sort of famously known for hating typing. So saving me even the small amount of keystrokes that you will, I, I appreciate Thank you. It's good to hear that. So yeah, we, we found that we also had the same practice, that we have you know, a terminal with maybe two tabs, and the second tab is always tests or something, but we're always doing git in one tab. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, we just codified that and made an actual shell for it. Yeah. Have you guys played with uh, fugitive.vim? Mm-hmm. So the, it's a plugin for sort of managing your git stuff through vim directly. Um, any, were you a fan of that? I found it awkward and didn't really fit into my workflow. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know why. Uh, it just wasn't the right match for my personality. Mm. Is that what you found? Yeah, I felt similarly. It didn't feel like an editor concern, I guess. I, you know, I want my text editor to be really, really good at editing files. Mm-hmm. And Git felt like a separate thing. I'm not editing files. I'm doing source control. So, so you mentioned that the, the man page was uh, tricky. How did you generate that? So we wrote it in uh, Mandoc, which is one of the more modern man syntaxes, which is natively supported by man. So... It's not quite as old and nasty as something like Groff or Enroff or Trough or Roth or anything like that. Yeah, uh, and it, it is a semantic man page markup. Mm-hmm. So instead of saying make this italic and make this, you know, underlined or whatever, you say this is the synopsis and this is the name of the program and these are flags for the program and things like that. So it knows that it is a man syntax language and it's it's for marking up man pages. Whereas Roth, for example, was just a typesetting language uh, that happened to be used for man pages. One of the things I like is that you can uh, hop out of the shell and call, execute shell commands from within Git shell, like reach mm-hmm. up the level, basically. Yeah, that's a recent feature, right? Yeah, that's very new. Um, that will be in 0.5, which is out now. <laughs> Excellent. Brew install that bad boy. Um, so as, as I was looking at your, your contribution guidelines, and I think you said like three times, we love tests, there must be tests, to start working on a feature, write a test. Is that like based on scar tissue from other open source projects where people submit things without tests? I think I actually copied that contributing guide from another ThoughtBot project. So I imagine it's kind of collective organization scar tissue that we've, <laughs> we've built up over the years. I, I remember that I wrote the first contribution guideline at ThoughtBot open source stuff. I think I only said that we like tests in there once. Mm-hmm. Um, and so my guess is that we added that as we've gone on. Yeah. This, is a, this is a thing that we see that, that we get a lot of code and, and the code is for a feature and it probably solves their problem, but it doesn't necessarily have a test. And we can't take it unless it has a test attached. Yeah. I feel like everyone copies each other's contribution guidelines. Like there's like mm-hmm. two or three that just get pasted everywhere. Yeah. There should be uh, there should be some library that just makes contribution guidelines well, for you. Well, I was thinking maybe a, a shell. 
Right. That you could just type, you know, guidelines <laughs> that you wanted and it would sort of make them automatically. Mm. In, in raw format. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> awesome. So you, you guys have been using this in Anger for a while now. Does, do you just keep this open in a, a terminal tab somewhere, permanently on, on Gitch? Uh, exactly. Yeah, I use a TMAX split down in the bottom left corner and it's always there. I was pairing with uh, with Draper over in our Riley office this week, and uh, I kept just typing commit on his computer. I, I, I've forgotten how to type git before git commands. Excellent. So uh, any other interesting Stockholm stuff going on, like projects or tools? or What's what's it like in the office these days? Oh, so we've, we've grown a bit. I think we're six people now. I can't count, but I think we're six. Mm-hmm. Uh, and yesterday we moved into a new office space. To uh, it's twice the size as the prior one, just to accommodate the growth. Hmm. Um, it has a, a large green uh, rug in the middle that we're calling the lawn, so that we can tell people to get off the lawn. Oh, nice! Um, because you know we're Unix programmers here. Right, that's um, so appropriate for you. Yeah, exactly. I think someone in Campfire mentioned uh, generating man pages using a markdown to man page thing. And I think your response of get off my lawn came in like one to two nanoseconds. Yeah, oh, totally accurate. Yeah, so that's, there's a new kind of hip uh, man page generator. Like I respect all sorts of code and especially open source code that people are building. But I feel like Mandoc does it better because uh, Mandoc is semantic and it can be rendered as a man page and converted into HTML and PDFs. And it has, uh, it has widespread use across all of OpenBSD and NetBSD. And half of FreeBSD, like I like that amount of Mandoc, whereas the the other stuff that's like Markdown to Manpage, that's mm-hmm. just catching the syntactic bit, but it doesn't capture the semantics, and it's not as rich. Hmm. So you guys are running a ton of events, right, out of the office? That's true. Uh, yeah. So George runs Stockholm Vim. You want to talk about that? Sure. So um, we actually just ran our first Vim hack night last month where people could come and hack on VimScript, work on the Vim RC, mm. uh, update some plugins. Uh, we had a couple of people talking about maybe even diving into the, the Vim source code. This was before NeoVim was released, I guess. Mm. Uh, yeah, so we're doing a show and tell next week, which should be pretty fun to see what people built. That's cool. We, I think we did that at the Boston Vim one time, and that was a big hit. Was like just bring something cool to show the group that something that you like about your setup. Yeah. Other events? Oh, a ton. So we're not organizing this, but we are a part of it. Uh, we are an advisor on it, and that's the Haskell meetup in Stockholm. I've presented at 100% of the Haskell meetups here. <laughs> um, it's great. So it's a really diverse crowd. There's like 30 or so people who show up, and there are two talks. Typically, one talk that's very beginner friendly and introductory, and like, hooray, Haskell. And then a second talk that's very. Uh, into the details of Haskell and how to use it, and it's a little boo Haskell because um, <laughs> once once you know a language, it's not very good. Right, right exactly. Um, Mike normally gives the boo Haskell talk. Yes, that sounds like Mike. <laughs> um, I, I like Haskell a lot, which is why I think it's terrible. Um, and then the next night, so Wednesday, is the Ruby presentation night, and we're still looking for a second presenter there, but. There's a Ruby event every two weeks or more in Stockholm mm-hmm. just because the community wants that. And uh, we planned out in a quarter. So in January, we had an intro Rails course, and I think we had like 70 people attend. Wow. Yeah. Is there a big tech scene in Stockholm, I guess? Sounds like. 
it's a sizable tech scene. Mm-hmm. Um, it's def- certainly growing. It's where companies like Spotify and um, SoundCloud uh, hire people, and you know, it's where they started. Mm-hmm. So there are a bunch of big tech companies here. It's also a great test market, people like to say. And so if you are launching a, a product and you want to try it in Europe, you should try it in Stockholm first because it's a very small, tight-knit, closed uh, city. And so you can know very quickly whether you've failed or succeeded. And if you succeed, you succeed in a large numbers. Cool. Yeah. Uh, and then we have a whole bunch of other events coming up. You know, stuff. Sure. All kinds One of, of the events that surprised me uh, the most was the classical code reading group that Mike started. Oh, where yeah. we get together and read the code of uh, classical Unix tools like we did PWD and true and false. Um, echo. And echo. And mostly look at the kind of beautiful, clean implementations that exist in the BSDs and then try and understand the 800 lines of code that GNU think does the same thing. Uh, <laughs> but that's, that's been, uh, we had a waiting list every time for that event, I think. Yeah, yeah. It's, we, we only have capacity for 20 people, and every time we, we, lots of people sign up for it. It's a surprising group. I didn't expect anyone to be interested in it, but it's really fun and fascinating. Hmm. It's interesting how much uh, learning you can do. Just it's just sitting there waiting for you on your file system. If you just mm-hmm. want to crack something open and see what's going on. Mm-hmm. I'm an open source advocate. I'm an open source user. Uh, it is my opinion that a programmer should use an open source editor and an operating system and like all the way down. You should know what you're using because it's not not for like paranoid reasons, but because you're you're a student and you're learning and there are these examples. That you could just look and see, you know, how how does my file system work? And then you can just look. And not only will you know how your file system works, but you'll know how a tree structure can be built and how um, how to optimize it in different ways and different indexing techniques that might even be useful in your day-to-day web programming. So you think a, that's a good path for improving yourself is doing some good code reading? I think a good code reading will really help. Um, and from the classical code group, I've learned that not just code reading, but comparison code reading. Mm-hmm. So reading the same thing implemented in different ways uh, by different people. And there are tons of examples out there. Like, most things have been re-implemented many times for better and for worse. And so you can always learn different tricks from different people by comparing them. Did I see something in Campfire that you were considering rewriting Gitsha and something different? We originally wrote Git shell in Go for a day. Mm. And so George had come back from something and had heard that Go was great for writing, for distributing command line tools. Mm-hmm. So, so I gave a talk at .rb last year about building command line tools in Ruby uh, and had a lot of interesting conversations with people afterwards, including people from Heroku and I think Travis were considering it at the time as well, uh, about building tools in Go to get around all of the portability stuff and all the stuff that we had to solve when we were trying to use auto tools for the Git shell mm-hmm. with, um, oh, do you have the right version of Ruby installed? Where is it? And they were saying that Go was solving a lot of these prog- these problems for them. Uh, but we found it was a little too close to C for our liking. Mm-hmm. Right. And and the trade-off of solving the which Ruby is installed problem was fine, but it was too low level and it didn't solve the distributing problem. So we still had to package up the program and make the homebrew package and all that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. You were looking for a higher level language to do this then? We were looking for 
like the programming language itself didn't matter at that point. So mm-hmm. we figured we'd get something high level instead of low level. Sure. And like we could write it in C and then it would be low level and we'd have lots of history uh, and code examples to pull from for building auto tools stuff. But uh, we'd rather write Ruby than low level code. Yeah. There's a lot of excitement around Go, but for me in particular, it's just like the opposite of the direction I'm looking to go. Like, exactly. like Ruby's too low level for me. I want the mm-hmm. next. Give me, give me even higher. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so uh, I want to push for more programming in Haskell. I want more mm-hmm. uh, command line programs written in Haskell. And I think that the direction we're going in uh, is actually going to be beneficial to Haskell as well. So we've written the Git shell. I, we also had a release for RCM, the RC file uh, manager. So we, we released that, uh, a new version of that in the past month. And that has the same auto tools set up and it has the same, like, you install it using Homebrew or Apt or whatever. And so there's a common make file that we're pulling out from that. And then we have another open source command line tool. Uh, Liftoff is also being packaged as a Homebrew package for command line. And there's something common between these three in that they're not necessarily all written in the same language, but they all have the same packaging concerns and they all have man pages and all the infrastructure around the code took time and effort to figure out. And we would like to make something higher level so that you can write a Haskell program or a Go program or a Ruby program and focus on the program and not on packaging it. Makes sense. It would be great to never see another tool which says, oh, to install this, just use gem install or pip install or npm install or some other thing where you have to care about what language it was written in. Right, totally. Definitely feels like an implementation detail. So uh, I think that's it. Do you guys have anything else you want to talk about? Anything you're excited about? Unix? <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, I think I've already talked about Unix a lot. Okay. Awesome. I think we'll leave it right there. Um, Git shell, it's easy to find. If you want to install it, give it a shot. Uh, I see you guys working on issues and pulls and all that. And so if you want to contribute, that's certainly welcome. Uh, feedback also seems to be very welcome as well. And I forgot to thank you guys for being on. So thank you guys for being on. Thanks, Thank. Yeah, thanks for having us. Yeah. Uh, if you'd like to access the show notes for this episode, you can go to thoughtbot.com slash giantrobots slash 90. Thanks for listening. Thank you.